welcome back everybody to the Gillette Health Podcast, where we give you the tools to develop a balanced approach to your health. I'm Dr. Kyle Gillette. Guest today is Tyler with Big Bluff Ranch. Um, as many of you know, I am a fan of the chickens that we have on our house. Uh, we don't have very many. We have 15. And I'm hoping to learn a lot right along with you guys today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, right off the bat, um, a lot of what we like to talk about is the pillars of health. And one of those pillars is diet. We get a lot of questions about sustainability of food. How did you get into um, sustainable chicken raising? <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I was born into it. So there's a, uh, the joke is farming, agriculture. How do you become a farmer? Either you're born into it or you, uh, that's pretty much it. You're born into it or you have, you know, you go IPO in Silicon Valley. So I was born into it. We born on this ranch, been in the family since 1960. And through a long, interesting story, which we probably don't have time to get into, we've been going more and more towards the regenerative, sustainable, uh, organic production route since the 80s. And we ended up uh, doing pasture poultry, organic, certified organic, no corn, no soy, pasture poultry. And it's a it's an outgrowth of our desire to take care of this land base for you, me, us, and everyone, and make really yummy, yummy chicken. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely a good uh, byproduct and pastime, if you will. But uh, I would certainly be stressed with everything going around, like, you know, um, the bird flu, uh, if it was a true... Um, you know, like profession rather than just a hobby like it is for me. And a lot of it confuses me, even as someone who has been trying to do this for a while. There's some terms like organic and pasture raised, free range, cage free. Um, can you help define some of those terms uh, for those of us that are a little confused? Sure, absolutely. So before I start diving into the details, I would say that um most of those attributes is what's kind of what the fancy name for them. They're called attributes when you start labeling label claims that if you're trying to buy something that has a label claim, even if it's not everything, it lives up to what you expect it to. It's better than not. So that's one of the things I like to tell people. It's like, hey, you don't have to go 100% top notch platinum standard. Let's just take your next best step. Right. So, you know, you don't. So anyways, let's break it break it down. So organic, organic is kind of the OG term. And it really, when we boil it down, basically means uh, kind of the chemical inputs to your food. So that's going to mean no chemicals, no, generally speaking, no herbicides, no pesticides, not uh, no antibiotics in the animals, in the feed the animals eat on the ground that the animals are raised on. And that's that's a pretty good big first step. Um, and there are some corners and loopholes that the big guys can play with and, you know, make, make some little cut some corners there, but generally speaking, organic is a lot better than non-organic. So if you see something that's organic, I would definitely go for it. Feel comfortable about that. Um, free range in chickens is, um, it's a little bit of a marketing doublespeak greenwash that, Free range birds are raised in a normal conventional big barn with thousands of birds in one building. 
And usually it means, depending on if they're layers or if they're meat birds, that they have access to outside, which means that you have a football field sized barn with maybe five to 10 doors around the perimeter and they go out into maybe a 10 foot wide outdoor space. Those numbers might not be right, but there is a regulated number for how much outdoor access they should have. Now, the, the tricky part is, is that chickens are creatures of habits. And usually by the time those doors are opened, their habits are set. And they're like, oh, I don't go, I don't go through that door. That that door has always been closed my entire life. And so even though it's open, I still think it's closed. And outdoor free range does not mean what you think it means. It's better probably than just a regular old egg, but it's still not like running around on pasture and eating bugs and eating sun in the sunshine, which is what we do. That's us. That's pasture raised. So there is no legal definition of pasture raised. So to some degree, you have to verify what your farmer says his pasture raised uh, process is. But just about anyone who claims pasture raised is going to be on fresh pasture, out in the sun, lots of open space, uh, you know, bugs and dirt and grit and, you know, fun stuff like that and really lets the birds live the way the birds want to live. So that would be pasture raised. So I get, those are kind of your levels that you have conventional, which is good enough, but it could be a lot better than you have organic. And organic sort of means free range, but not quite. And then you'd have free range. And then on top of all of that, you have pasture raised. So in a nutshell, those would be kind of your layer. Oh, and the other term that would be good to define and as far as chickens is vegetarian fed. So that is a bunch of BS. Chickens are so not vegetarian. You have 15 hens in your backyard, right? You know that they want to eat <laughs> anything that's around. So uh, a vegetarian fed chicken is actually feeding them a diet that they're not used to, that they're not evolved to to do. I mean, they're not going to, they're not like a hawk or something like that. They're not purely carnivorous, but they are very, very omnivorous and they want things other than just vegetables. So vegetarian fed, I would definitely stay away from that. That's just kind of marketing BS. That's not good for the animals and that's that's not worth it. But those other terms, free range, organic, not necessarily what you think they are, but better than nothing, pasture raised, that would be the platinum standard, gold standard. That's fantastic. That's the way we like them. Ours are pasture raised. Um, there are some difficulties, of course, of raising in the pasture. In Kansas, at least, we have foxes, coyotes, occasionally a cougar, raccoons, birds of prey. There's just all sorts of things that love to try to get our chickens, the neighbor's dogs. Um, <laughs> what are some strategies that uh, people can use to help attenuate that? Um, <laughs> defense and layers. So what we have done is we have permanent uh, fencing on the outside of our fields. Then we have temporary fencing around where the birds are at any one time. And inside that fencing, we have uh, big white dogs, we call them the livestock guardian dogs. Yeah. And then we also have shelters where the birds can run in and out of the shelter, depending on their what they feel their threat assessment is. Um, so you put all those layers in place and you have a pretty solid, um, pretty solid uh, protection zone for your birds. 
And another thing I would say is that that as much as you don't want it to happen, predators do happen, especially aerials. We're pretty good on terrestrial, but aerial birds, you know, it's it's tough to stop hawks and stuff. But I just kind of think of it, I minimize it as much as possible, but I think of it as tithing to mother nature, right? You know, it's like, hey, we're bringing all of this extra nutrients into our ecosystem. You know, we're doing all these good things. And if mother nature decides that she needs to take three or four or five chickens. I've done my best, but that's just kind of tithing to mother nature. And another another way of making that um, work out a little bit better is just raise lots of chickens. <laughs> Because you're only going to have three or four hawks in an area or pick a number. You're going to have a, a static number of hawks and they're only going to eat a static number of birds. So if you have 10 hens and they eat one a day, you're done in 10, 10 days. But if you have, say, 10,000 broilers and they eat one a day, you have a lot more time. So it's kind of playing with their percentages as well. But overall, our job is to keep our birds healthy and safe as possible accepting the fact that we can't be perfect. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. I will definitely try to utilize some of those strategies to the best of the ability. Um, I try to use the Pareto principle too. So at least, you know, a, every day try to be consistent with your basic, most efficacious prevention strategies. So um, we have been uh, like much better at kind of the second year than the first year. So hopefully that will continue and we don't jinx anything. I've noticed that there's a lot of what I'd call family farms or regenerative farms for bison and for beef. There was just a, a guy on the Joe Rogan podcast talking oh. about the different grades at Whole Foods and such. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, a ton of them. Like, you know, if you look around Instagram or if you just look at different promotions, it's common to see why does it seem like it's less like that for uh, chickens and eggs? Um. Ultimately, chickens and eggs are actually a lot harder animal species to raise. So we actually started off as a cow-calf operation. So we have decades of experience with uh, big animals. And, you know, that's still probably where my first love is, is, you know, cows and range management. And we have we do all the stuff that you hear about uh, moving, you know, high density, short duration, riparian zone, all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, native perennial regeneration. So we, we do that all the time. That That is kind of our bread and butter. Um, but we do sell mostly chicken. Chickens make us money. We play with the cows at this point. Um, so the thing with the chickens is that it is hard to really have, uh, well, it's just hard to raise them in general, that the, the scale of chicken industry and processing chickens means that you have to be really pretty large. So we do, I don't know, call it 50,000 birds a year, which puts us at the upper end of pasture poultry production. Um, but our plant that we go to that processes our birds does 50,000 birds a week, you know, and they're tiny, they're a tiny plant. They are really an artisanal by hand chicken processor. So in order to actually have regeneration, you need to have some sort of scale. You need to be able to be a sustainable business. So first of all, you have to have a business. To have a business, you have to be at scale. So you have to have some access to processing. And then you chickens need imported supplements that you get a decent amount of feed off of your pasture, but 
that's not everything that they need. So you're needing to bring in grain. So now you need to figure out how that supply chain works. And so for us, we buy as local as possible. So for us, we are no corn, no soy fed. Um, there are people talking about the benefits for the birds, benefits for the humans. I see science on both sides. I can't really speak to that. I can speak to the fact that California should not be growing corn in the quantities it does because it takes too much summer water. We're in a mega drought. And soybeans, which is in most chicken feed, California can't grow because we just have the wrong climate. We're too too dry. So for us to be a regenerative chicken operation, we go no, soy, no coin, nor soy, buy locally. We're not shipping in stuff from the Midwest. We're taking our birds. We're putting them on new pastures. We're, we're dumping all that fertility into new pastures. We do have some leftover chicken litter which we will compost and then we mechanically spread onto extensive landscapes. And then we bring in cows to graze down the chicken pasture. So we really have this big, big bundle of practices that are all aimed at putting life and fertility and vitality back into our soil. And then as a byproduct, we get back all this amazing, delicious meat. So that in my big mumblingness is what I feel a regenerative chicken operation kind of has to, to standard that we try and meet. That's awesome. Uh, that was my next question is regarding like compost and what you do with it. So that's uh, great to hear what you do with the chicken litter. I know a lot of farmers in the Midwest bring in chicken litter from farms, uh, even to help as fertilizer. So um, that's great that you can keep it locally and not have to be shipping it across the country with trucks. Um as far as um, like what people can take away, um, maybe on one hand as a consumer, as someone looking to um, buy products responsibly, and then also on one hand, maybe as, and this is partly just for myself, as backyard chicken raisers, right. um, some tips regarding like, do you need a livestock guardian dog? We have two Irish wolfhounds, by the way. They seem to do great. Never lost mm -hmm. a chicken when they've been outside, but I mean, not to jinx it, but. Um, do they need to look into having guinea hens? Those seemed particularly difficult. What are some other tips that are like high yield takeaways? Uh, so for backyard backyard operations, the the biggest the biggest issue really is the fact that you are not moving, that you're you're you are putting out like a candy store in the same spot every day and that the predators are going to spend a lot of time and they're going to be like, I really want that candy. That's a totally mixed metaphor, but that they have time to figure out your defenses and that you're going to need to think that through that you're putting out a very attractive feed food. They're like, I like eating chickens. So do we. So you know, they're, they're highly motivated to figure that out. So you need to be thinking through your predator pathways. Like, do you have a Creek in the back of your property? Do you have a tree line? Are the chickens in the same spot every day? What can you do that changes things up? Um, you don't need to have a guardian dog. It all depends a little bit on your scale. Guardian dogs are great. Any dog really will work. Um, but you just need to make sure your dog doesn't want to eat the chickens, right? That's that's the real yeah. trick. Um, but the yeah, so that's that's the idea is just to create an environment where the birds have 
protection, I guess that that's one of the things I say is that chickens don't have brains, they have instincts. So what you need to do is kind of think through what their instincts are. They're, they like to, they're a tree type species. So they want to be able to run under something. They want to be able to run under trees. They want to have some open space so they can see where the predators are coming from and then be able to run away from it. Maybe you need to think about on a small scale doing a just a daily move pen, just like lock them down and just move them around. Uh, there's you, you can look these up online. They're called salatin pens. Uh, Joel Salatin is kind of the godfather of pasture poultry, and that that works really well on a small scale in a limited area. You can just move them wherever exactly you want them, and they're locked in. Or you let them out when you're able to take care of them, and then you lock them back up when you're not around, and you need to you know, give them more protection. So the backyard, backyard is actually, I would almost say tougher than raising them on a commercial scale. Um, on my scale, I get to to cheat a little, not cheat, but you know, it's like, this is my full-time job. I've got two guys working with me. Like we spend a lot of time taking care of our chickens because we've got thousands of them. If I've got 10 and I've got a town job, that gives, it's a lot tougher really for me to be giving the time and attention to my birds. Not that came out a little wrong. I know you're giving time and attention, but you can't like live next to them and be like, oh, there's a hawk. Shoo, shoo, hawk, go away. You know, that doesn't work. So did that cover any of your question at all? <laughs> it absolutely did. Yeah. Um, um, two other things that came up and uh, apparently they come up relatively frequently. One that we dealt with was something called splay leg. I don't know okay. if that's uh, worth dealing with or if you have a tip for it. Um, I have I did my best attempt. Maybe you can put it on screen, screen, but it did not work, sadly. But it kind of looked like the umbilical cord was wrapped around the leg. So maybe that uh, chick was doomed from the start with. And then the other thing is um, having kids around the chickens. Uh, luckily, most of ours do pretty well. But I've certainly heard horror stories of um, like, uh, you know, getting accosted, especially by a rooster, if people have a rooster. Any tips on those things? Sure. So splay leg is... Um, you don't really recover from it, honestly. And this is this is coming more from a professional commercial side of things. So I'm not really saying that this is what a, a backyard flock would necessarily have to do, but on a conventional commercial level, that they're those birds never really come back. Like they, there's a mechanical, the hip is broken, right? Or they've had some a severe nutritional deficiency and that you can nurse them back to life. But on, on my scale, it's not really worth it. And our personal choice, as rough as it sounds, is euthanasia. euthanasia. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I'm really sorry, dude. We've done the best we can for you. For right now, this is the best thing we can do for you. Um, and we try and do that as little as possible. But sometimes that's just the best solution. Um now the rooster thing being attacked so we do meat birds so we don't really have to worry so much about you know broody hens or uh very territorial roosters um and again I, this is also kind of coming from a, a ranching background where if you have crazy cows you just sell them you know that ultimately that there are birds out there that do not have the undesirable characteristics and you may be better off finding a bird that fits your situation than trying to make a bird a bird that doesn't fit fit find a bird that fits mm -hmm. whatever the correct grammar might have been there um but i would say that if you do have kids around chickens 
uh, chicks, kids and chicks are a hoot, man. They are so fun. We give a fair amount of farm tours. My kid, my friend, my kids bring their friends home from school and they're like, Hey, we got to go see the baby chicks. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So there's kind of like three rules. One, you know, no running. It's really pretty obvious. So we have a big brooder. So we have, you know, thousands of chicks at a time. They're pretty slow the first couple of days. So you can walk up to them. So no running, um, no shouting because birds are pretty sound sensitive. You know, you shout and like they run away. So no shouting. And um, you can pick them up and hold them, but hold, don't hold them too long. Eventually they get tired, put them down and let them run off. And um, that's worked out just fine. And they're, they're a lot of fun to play with. Kids love chicks. Um, you should wash, obviously wash your hands when you're done with, yeah. you know, holding chicks with salmonella and everything. Um, but other than that, just chicks and baby kids are a lot of fun. Baby chicks and kids, baby kids probably aren't so good. Yeah. Um, I like that advice a lot. I think that's fantastic. So, and our kids really do love the chicks quite a bit. Whenever they right. wake up, they're very excited to check on the brooder. So it's a great activity. It, you know, as I, when I grew up, I did 4-H and I did a lot of uh, animals and I was homeschooled. So I kind of have that background. Um, and that also kind of helps me as a consumer, well, one, to, to realize how hard it is to do everything to raise an animal and to get something that's consumable and healthy from that uh, animal. And also too, um, it kind of helps me make the choice to buy a potentially slightly more expensive product that could be of higher quality. Um, is there any takeaway about like, um, if you can, um, you know, consume, for example, pasture raised eggs or pasture raised chicken, or like the the balance of if you're if there's just one type of meat that you're trying to get of higher quality at a slightly mm -hmm. higher price point like beef versus chicken or pork versus chicken. um what what is your um your biggest bang for your buck kind of sort of mm -hmm. so it, it's like in vegetables i think they have like the dirty dozen where it's like right. you're gonna buy organic like get this dozen it, does that exist for you know, I've never really heard of that. That's kind of a, uh, it's a great concept that I'm kind of, I'm trying to take half a second here and, and think that through. I think to some degree, it's going to come down to a little bit, the philosophical choices behind your choice. Like, why are you trying to eat better meat, better, you know, as an umbrella turner? If you're interested in land regeneration, you're probably better off looking for a uh, American grown grass fed beef because they're going to spend a lot more time on grass are going to have more impact over more acres. If you're interested in kind of, uh, tr you know, supporting humane standards for animals, probably eat chicken because the conventional chickens are grown just the whole conventional chicken industry from the animals to the farmers that raise them. The farmers are great, but the system that they're in is really horrible to them. Like they, we don't have time to go into that, but I don't understand how anyone could. Yeah. That's just not good. So from a, a, an industry standpoint, if you want to create change in an industry, probably buying pasture poultry would be a really powerful step. Um, so yeah, I don't, there's, I don't think there's one clear cut answer. I think I could work you through to a point where you would feel comfortable with your choice, but I have to know what your philosophy is. Why, why are you trying to eat better meat? That makes Sorry, sense. it's a little, 
a little bit of a wiggle there, but I just do the best you can. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times in medicine, it's the same way. So you can't really like uh, apply many different individualized situations and goals to everybody, but that, that helps. Um, so we have a lot of individuals in the audience that care about lean body mass, uh, bodybuilders, if you will, or fitness individuals. Um, we do occasionally get questions about nutrients of like egg yolks. For example, there's something called fortitropin, which is a weak myostatin inhibitor, which could potentially help um, with like muscular development more in kids than adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's people that, that sell like fertilized egg yolks because they potentially might have more of this myostat inhibitor in it. Do you have any opinion or any, uh, perhaps anecdotal evidence regarding fertilized egg yolks or just nutrients in egg yolks and how that obviously differs for pasture raised chickens? Right. I am not, I don't have any sort of initials after my name. I'm not a PhD. I'm not an MD. So I, I can't really go. I, I do Google searches like everyone else. So I, I can't really dig into the science of it, but I would tell you from the production side of it that I know, because we don't sell eggs, but we have at various times have had up to a hundred layers out here. And that I know when I eat our homegrown eggs that we raised, we took care of, we know what went into their feed. And then every now and then you have like some grocery store eggs and you have them side by side. There's really no comparison that the, the, you know, the freshness, the nutrition, I mean, the nutrition has to be better, right? I, just, I can't understand any way that it wouldn't be better to have a homegrown egg versus a store-bought egg. So um, I think it's another little bit of a wiggle room there where do the best you can and the closer and the fresher you can buy that egg, the better. I think that's probably what I would have to say there, but yeah, I mean, the better you would know this, like you were that the better your food, the better you're feeling your body, the better you're feeling your body, the more correct fuel your body has for building muscles, (laughs) reducing fat, building muscles. I mean, the body, there's a fancy term that you're probably going to figure out homeostasis where your body really wants to be at its ideal situation. And if you're, too fat and you give it the right food, it's going to come back down. If you're too skinny, you give it the right food. It's going to come right to the middle. If you, this is my personal philosophy. If you tend to live off of kind of somewhat close to your ideal body rate weight or situation or whatever that you're probably not giving it the right inputs. You give it the right inputs, a little bit of sunlight, a little bit of good food, a little bit of exercise, and you tend to right size. Um, But that's me being a farmer. I agree. Um, and that's why I've developed the lifestyle pillars of health as well. And diet is the very first one. And anecdotally, um, for my children, for my boys, and when my wife was pregnant, if there was a choice between, um, you know, them having the pasture raised egg with the better amounts of choline, the better micronutrient content, um, then they would have those because, um, you know, whether it's a fetus or a toddler, they're, those inputs are not only to maintain homeostasis, they're to grow the body as well. There's no better prenatal vitamin than uh, an, like a full egg or even more per day because it has the choline in them. If you look at the micronutrient profile, so we are definitely uh, in, a, in concordance there. Um, I guess, uh, is there any other final thoughts or 
things that you would want people to know and how can people find out more about you? Um, the, I, I think one, we went through a lot of labels and I tried to kind of put my little conclusion at the end of each one of them where just take the next best step that the food you eat directly impacts the farmer and impacts the environment that you get to choose the environment we all live in three times a day and that you don't get hung up on perfect just do the best you can and that for instance we are a small family operation and we take care of a good chunk of ground and that's only because people like you are buying from us your little one dollar extra at the grocery store has a very profound impact on us and you keep us in business and we'll keep and we'll become an example for other small businesses and other small ranchers and that you know the the money you spend on better food is meaningful it really is absolutely meaningful it may not feel like much to you um but by the time it gets out to me it's like yeah it's absolutely meaningful so at, at whenever you can eat the best you can and it's good for you. It's good for the farmer. It's good for the land. It's good for the animals. Just do the best you can. It's it's this really amazing ball of goodness. Um, and then as far as just getting a hold of us, uh, bigbluffranch.com. That's who we are. And um, yeah, my email and phone number is all over the website. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of that way. And I don't know if you've got a sense of that from this interview yet, but I kind of like talking about this stuff. So if I, if I said something weird and you have a question mark about what I just said, <clears throat> call me up and uh, we will get it straightened out for you. And if you just want to talk to me, I want to talk to you too. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate it. I think people can tell that you're a wonderful altruistic individual. And I hope that this helps a lot of people as they go through their journey, making wise choices about diet, the first pillar of health. Thank you. Thank you.